Thank you for downloading and listening to the Briam Bible Church Sunday Morning Podcast. Briam Bible Church is located in Shoreline, Washington, morning worship at 11, and many more events throughout the week. For more information, please visit our website at www.bereanshoreline.org. This morning, I'd like to open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2, and we're going to continue our uh, consideration from this very important epistle, the epistle to the church at Ephesus, written by the Apostle Paul. We believe he wrote this from his imprisonment from Rome as we come to the end of the book of Acts, and Paul is in uh, house arrest for two years, and we believe this is where he wrote the prison epistles from during this time. So before we begin this morning, let's have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, uh, we pray your blessing on your word as we consider it together. Uh, might our hearts always be open and sensitive to your Holy Spirit speaking to us. And Father, uh, may uh, your words truly be heard this morning and may they impact our lives and draw us close to you. We pray this as we continue to worship through considering your word now. In Christ's name, amen. Now, this morning, I want to go to what I consider to be a very uh, pivotal verse, a very important verse. You know, today, this weekend is President's Day in our country. Uh, I grew up in the era where we celebrated Lincoln's birthday, and then we celebrated Washington's birthday, because, of course, we live in the state of Washington. Anybody besides me ever cut out the silhouette of Lincoln? You know, the black silhouette things, you know? I was always kind of partial to Lincoln. I don't know why, but uh, President Lincoln... We look at the lives of our presidents, but we think of especially those two presidents of very pivotal times in our country's history. Very, very important uh, points that uh, history would have changed. And we have a very important pivotal point in Scripture today that I would like to go to first in this section and then go back and as we work toward it and understand. But I would like you to look at verse 15. Well, we'll begin at verse 14. This is in our, in our passage today. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two one, and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by abolishing in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. And this is the, the phrase, the sentence I want you to, to uh, make sure you pay attention to this morning. Um, because our view of Scripture, our view of what God is doing today in the world and in terms of God's unfolding plan of redemption is very much tied to this verse. Your story, if you are a believer today in Jesus Christ, is very much tied to this verse. His purpose, and this tells us what God's purpose was. This is God's purpose. His purpose was to create in himself one new man out of the two, that is the Jew and Gentile, thus making peace. And it tells us here that what God is doing today and what God's purpose was, was to create one new humanity, one new person, one new entity. And that's what I want you to keep in mind as we go back and begin at verse 11 in our study of Ephesians. We left off last week in verse 10. I want you to keep that thought at the top here, that God's purpose was to create something new, the new humanity, the new human, the new man, if you will, the new mankind, if you will, the new man. Now, let's go back to verse 11. So Paul, after, after he taught on the, 
the message that Gary preached last week to us on, salvation by grace. For by grace you have been saved through faith, not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works. But we are called to live lives of good works and to do good as God instructs us to do. We're God's workmanship. And then in verse 11, Paul then says, Remember, therefore, therefore remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision that done in the body of hands by men. Remember that at that time you were. And before I go on any further, we have to, we have to enter into the world of the New Testament here. Because and I, and I would think especially for somebody that maybe this is new, and it may be you today, maybe uh, this is something new, maybe you haven't read this before, uh, maybe uh, you know the Christian faith is new to you, and maybe you're not even a Christian. And uh, we want you to know the gospel today as we, as we share it. But I want you to enter into this because this could be a little confusing. You don't think of the world, you don't think of your world in terms of Jews and non-Jews. You don't think that way. Our, our culture doesn't think that way. But in the first century, in the New Testament, in the story of God's unfolding plan of salvation, this was very important. And Paul writes to these people who live in what would be modern western Turkey, uh, Ephesus. We visited there on our last trip to Israel. It was on the very west coast, sort of the central west coast of uh, Turkey. For the most part, it appears that a lot of these people in this church were not Jewish, they had a congregation made up of Jews and non-Jews. And as they gathered together, this was very important. And you have to kind of enter into this world to understand this, because we don't think this way. We don't think of our world in those two classifications. But here's why. Paul says, now listen, those of you Gentiles, you non-Jews, remember, verse 12, at that time, and we want to reflect on what, what is that time? There's a, there's a pivotal point in time where something happened that changed. But he says, at that time, you were, and he gives five qualities or five uh, conditions of the life of the Gentiles, the non-Jews, during this time. And he says, here's what you were. Remember, first of all, you were separate from Christ. Now, the word, the, the, the name Jesus Christ, we call ourselves Christians, his name was Jesus. That was his earthly name. That's the same name as the Old Testament, Joshua. That's why you've probably heard, you know, the Jews for Jesus and different groups pronounce Yeshua. It's the name Joshua. It means Jehovah, Yahweh, saves. Anytime you have a name in the Old Testament or the Bible with the ah sound, A-H sound, it has something to do with Yahweh or Jehovah. That's the short form of Jehovah. Jehovah saves. That was his name. His title, if you were, is Christos or Christ, which is equivalent to the Hebrew Messiah. So when Paul says here, Gentiles, at that time you were separate from Christ. It's important that he says Christ here. He doesn't say you were separate from Jesus. But you Gentiles were separate from the promise of the Messiah. The Messiah was promised to Israel. Remember when our Lord Jesus Christ was on earth and there were occasions where, uh, for example, a Gentile woman, a non-Jew, asked for his help and, and the Lord said, I was only sent to the lost sheep of the house of what? 
Israel sang the song this morning, you know, the, 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 the 23rd Psalm, the shepherd, this, this theme of shepherd and sheep applied especially to Israel. They were God's flock. The, in the Old Testament, the leaders were called the shepherds of Israel. And they were accused of being bad shepherds at the time. A shepherd is supposed to take care of the flock, not destroy it. And this whole idea of, of shepherding and, and so on, and Israel was, was God's flock, and they had a promised Messiah. Jesus said, I was only sent to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. There was something important about that. And I remember the lady said, yes, Lord, but even the dogs get to eat the what? Crumbs that fall on the table. And he acknowledged her faith and said, this, this woman has great faith. But he came specifically to fulfill the promise of the Old Testament as the Messiah to Israel, which was part of God's plan of salvation that would eventually include the entire world. The coming Messianic kingdom is for the entire world. But he says, you Gentiles, you weren't, you weren't part of the promise of the Messiah. He is coming to Israel, and then he would set up that kingdom. So he says, you were, you were separate from that. Secondly, he says, you were, look at he says, you were excluded from citizenship in Israel. They were excluded from being citizens of Israel. Now, Paul was a Roman citizen. Ephesus was a very important Roman city. And, and many and the people there were, for the most part, were citizens of Rome. And this would have meant something to them. And he says, you were separate. You were not citizens of Israel. You were not part of the community, the polis, the city of Israel. That was your condition. You were foreigners to the covenants of the promise. In other words, the covenants of promise were given to somebody else besides you. The, the covenants of promise probably have to do with the Abrahamic covenant and the Davidic covenant and the new covenant. There were no conditions on those. Abraham was told there was no conditions on Abraham. It wasn't Abraham, if you obey, I will do this. No, God says, Abraham, I am going to do this. I'm going to use you. And I'm going to bless the entire world. I'm going to give you a special people. I'm going to make you father of many nations. I'm going to give you a special land. These were promises given to Abraham. David, God said to David, this is amazing. God said to David, David, there will always be a king on the throne of Israel from your family. Even if that son of yours, meaning anywhere down the line, disobeys me. Even if they disobey me. I am not going to take them off the throne like I did to Saul. There will always be a descendant of David on the throne of Israel. It was unconditional. It didn't say if they obey me. He said even if they disobey me, you will still have a descendant on the throne of Israel. Why? Because it was leading to the Messiah, to Christ. These were promises to Israel. And then he says, "You look at the next one, the last two. You were without hope and without God in the world. Remember, Gentiles, if you the cut off from Israel, God had called this special people for his plan because God had a plan of salvation. He called the Israel, the Jewish nation, to bring through them the Messiah that would eventually bring hope to the entire world. Israel had the wonderful opportunity to be a messenger of God and of his salvation to the entire world. But you Gentiles were cut off from that, Paul says. And he says, apart from that hope in Israel, you had no hope at all 
and you were atheists. That's where we get the word atheist from. And this, and this, this phrase here in the Greek where it says you were without God, it's atheos. You were, you were an atheist. You had no God. This was your condition. This was the situation. Now, we've, we've talked about, we were on, on Sunday night, we're in Romans. Last week, when Gary uh, spoke from Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 10, the week before, we talked about the first part where Paul talks about their condition. Um, this morning, uh, Chuck Collins in his, in his class, and, and, and the class Chuck is teaching is the one that is working on the memory verses that we are learning together. And to go with this, this week's verse, and he, had this, this, he showed me this quote from Tim Keller's book. And this, this is this is good. It starts it starts out cheer up. That's always good, right? Cheer up. And what it kind of means is good news and bad news, bad news and goodness. Cheer up, he says. Cheer up. You're a worse sinner than you ever dared to imagine. Now that's true. You might not feel that way this morning. Maybe you don't feel particularly like a bad sinner, but. If what Paul says here is true in Ephesians chapter 2, that we were, as we looked at the first part of the chapter, that we were disobedient, we were far from God, we had no hope. He says to the Gentiles, to the people here, you're without hope, you're without God, you're atheists. You, apart from the God's promise to Israel, if God hadn't have done that, there was no chance, there was no hope. You and I, because of our sinful condition, because we are born separate from God with a sin nature, and we have a holy, perfect, righteous God who has no connection with sin or pollution, darkness, if you will, at all. Tim Keller says, cheer up. You are a worse sinner than you ever dared to imagine. And you are more loved than you ever dared hope. Isn't that good? And you are more loved than you would ever dare to hope. To think that God would choose to love us to the extent that He has. Think of your life. Think of your story. To think that God has chosen to love you. And I want you to know, everyone here today, that God loves you dearly. And if you're here today and you do not have Jesus Christ as your Savior, you've never accepted His forgiveness for sins. This is the message of the gospel. God loves you more than you could ever dare to imagine. And that is why Jesus Christ went to the cross at Calvary. The empty cross behind me is to remind us each Sunday as we gather. We say we meet under the cross. There's a cross on top of our church. If you were to fly over our church and look down from an airplane, uh, our church was designed, if you notice, to look like a cross from the top as well. Um, architecturally, this, the cross is, is, is the focal point of this whole building. And everything that here focuses and points and draws us to the cross at Calvary to remind us that God loved us so much that Jesus Christ, God's Son, fully God, fully man, went to the cross, died, and suffered my payment, my punishment for my sin. Because I'm a worse sinner than I could ever dare to imagine. But God loved me more than I could ever dare to imagine. And he died in the cross. And that's your story too, friends. If it's not your story, it can be your story. God loves you. But Paul says, listen, Gentiles, this was your story. You were separate. 
from what God was doing through Israel. But, verse 13, just as we saw earlier, but God, in verse 4, because of his great love, we see here, but now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away, you have been brought near through the blood of Christ. This is our story. Yes, we make much in the gospel message of the blood of Jesus Christ. We read in the Bible, as we've been reading in our Old Testament reading this past week from the Old Testament, that the life, God says in the Old Testament, on the Mosaic Law, you are not allowed to eat blood because the life is in the blood. The life is in the blood. And, and Paul says here, we have been brought near. Those of us, this is our story. We have been brought near through the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed on the cross of Calvary and paid for my sin and for yours. So this is our story. And he says, Gentiles, remember, this was your story, but this is what's happened. And then he goes on in verse 14. For he himself, and we have here the word peace. And we know this morning we have sung uh, songs about peace. We've read scriptures about peace. The special song from Psalm 23 really talks about the, in, in, in the big picture, the, the peace that God brings. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. If you could read that in the Hebrew, it's a very, very dark statement. It's a frightening statement. This, the, the Hebrew words to talk about this valley of the shadow of death. I will fear no evil, for God is with me. We have peace with God. And peace is, the, is, the, is really the, the big theme of this section, verses 14 through 18. Reconciliation, peace, shalom. As Gary referred to last week, shalom. In the Hebrew, the word shalom has much more meaning than simply the absence of conflict. It also has the idea of wellness and health and reconciliation to bring back together. Shalom. That's why in, in, in Israel, shalom works for hello and goodbye. Shalom, shalom, shalom. The Arabic, it's salam. It's the same root word in their, in their language, in the Arabic language, salam. Shalom, peace, health, reconciliation. Look what he says in verse 14. For he himself, that is Jesus Christ, is our peace who has made the two one, that is Jew and Gentile. Again, you don't think this way. But in the context of the New Testament, this is very important because the story of salvation. Uh, John, keep your hand here in Ephesians. You go back to the Gospel of John. I can just read it for you if you like. It's the John chapter 4, the Samaritan woman. And in the Gospel of John chapter 4, as the lady asks him questions and uh, tries to get him off track a little bit. And she, she says in verse 19, Sir... Uh, John 4:19. This is the this is the Samaritan woman as Jesus goes to Samaria. I can see you are a prophet. Our our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is Jerusalem. Jesus declared, "Believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know. For salvation is from." The Jews. I mean, it's as clear as can be. God's plan of redemption was to reach the entire world, as he goes on to say here, through the Jews. God had a very good plan. He chose one man, Abram. And from that one man, 
He chose the one family, the family of Isaac. And through Isaac, he chose Jacob. And from Jacob, the fathers of the tribes of Israel, and it moved from one man to one family to one clan, the nation of Israel. And from within that one clan, one tribe, one family, one individual, Jesus of Nazareth, who would become the Savior for the entire world. It was God's plan of redemption. It was a good plan. And if God didn't have a plan, it never would have happened. You would not go looking for God. But God had a plan. And he says, salvation is through the Jews. Jesus flat out said that. Because that was God's plan, to use the Jews to reach the entire world through the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And so back in Ephesians chapter 2, Paul says this, For he himself is our peace, who has made the two one, has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by abolishing in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. Paul says here there was, there was a wall, there was something built between the Jews and the Gentiles that was, that was keeping them apart. The key word is peace. God has brought peace. God has reconciled them together into one body, to one new humanity, one new person. But in order to do that, he had to break down a wall. You know, it's interesting in our culture, uh, we build fences, don't we? I'm not going to ask how many of you have fences. We have a fence around our yard. Well, not really around our yard. We have wonderful neighbors. We have Christian friends on one side. On the other side is the family, the, the, the girl that, girl, I guess she's my age. Am I a boy? Am I, <laughs> anyway, she grew up there. We, we both, you know, I lived in that house and she grew up in that house since, you know, since the 1950, 51. So I've known her forever. We have great neighbors. But we have fences in our yards. This is part of our culture, isn't it? Part of it's, it's not so, you know, we don't build fences to keep our neighbors out. It was, it was more to keep our dog in, right? Because we had a dog at one time that, uh, uh, you know, that's Mac, our old black Labrador. Uh, you couldn't trust him for nothing. I mean, I couldn't, I couldn't let him out the front door. And he, occasionally he would, also, we didn't even know he was out. And all of a sudden he'd come to the front door. <gasps> you know, he's been all over the neighborhood. You know, I think, where have you been? You mean... So we had to build a fence. But, but, you know, if you think of a hedge, some people do build fences to keep their neighbors out. I hope that's not your situation. But um, in the Bible, in the Gospels, this same word is used for like the hedges of vineyards, of farms. And so if you think of like, like a, like a, like a bush type hedge that would maybe be high. Um, and, you know, in World War II, during the invasion of Europe, it was all of a sudden, you know, the hedgerows that, that were faced, that they had to get through these hedgerows. All of a sudden were pretty, as Jerry would know about this, pretty important obstacles. They weren't just a fence or a bush. They were hedgerows. And they were designed for protection. They were designed to keep apart. And that's the word that's used here in the Gospels when the, when the Lord talks about it. Paul says there was a hedgerow. There was a hedge. There was something between Jew and Gentile. What was it? What was it that was so important that Jesus had to die on the cross of Calvary and shed his blood to bring peace, to take away that, to knock that hedgerow down? You know, Patton used tanks and, and they... And they you read the history of it and things they put on the front of the tanks that they, had, they got there and had to improvise and take care of this. Jesus had to knock that hedgerow down. 
Now, many, many think the reference here has to do to the Mosaic uh, law, has to do with the temple. Because in the temple courts, there was a fence, a hedge, if you will, that said, Gentiles, you are not allowed in here at the point of death. If you cross this, you are not allowed here. That's possible. Personally, I think it's maybe a bigger picture that the Jewish law, the Mosaic law, became this hedge between Jew and Gentile. For the Jews, the Mosaic law was given to draw them to God and to be a witness for God of his love and mercy. It was a good thing. But it was also, a, as Paul calls it, a schoolmaster, a tutor to lead them until the Messiah came. And instead, it became a wall around them to keep the Gentiles out and to protect them from them. And to the Gentiles, this hedge became something that was, that was, that was different, it was odd about these people, that they, they would not want to cross. There was this hedge between Jew and Gentile. And the Apostle Paul says, He himself, Jesus, is the one who knocked down this hedgerow, who destroyed this. Why? He abolished in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations and said it is no longer through the Mosaic law that you come to God. You come now through my blood, through me. He knocked it down. And then he says this. Why? Because his purpose, his purpose was to create in himself, that is, in Jesus Christ, one new man. Out of the two, thus making peace. And in this one body, this one new humanity, to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death the hostility. Now listen, friends, this, is the heart, this verse here is the heart and soul of understanding what God is doing today. And I'll tell you why. You'll notice it is called a new man. It is something brand new. It is not something that has been recycled or something that has been re- refigured. We as Gentiles have not become attached to Israel. And also Israel has not become attached to us Gentiles. We have something brand new. Something that was not prophesied in the Old Testament. We'll see that as we get into chapter 3. It was not prophesied in the Old Testament. It is something. Yes, Gentiles coming to God was prophesied in the Old Testament. Because they would come through Israel as Israel took the message of the Messiah to the world. But something brand new is taking place. God is bringing Jews and Gentiles together and creating a third entity. A third race. Something brand new. And this third entity, this unprophesied body of Jesus Christ, the church, the church, the body of Christ, something brand new has been accomplished because in the blood of Christ shed on the cross of Calvary, God destroyed any requirements of the law. And we are not called to come through Israel. We are not. This was hard. Read the book of Acts and you'll see in the book of Acts, the Jerusalem Council in Acts chapter 15, they had to have a big meeting of people where Paul came down to Jerusalem and met with the Jerusalem leaders and they had to flesh this out and work it out and say, you mean, you mean to tell me that these Gentiles that have been pagan worshipers, these Gentiles who did all these detestable practices, 
Listen, you know, you read the history of the first century. We were in Corinth. And you go and you stand in Corinth and you look up the top of the hill, the Acropolis, the top of the hill, Polis, city, Acrop, the top. And there is a temple up there on the top of the hill. And there are stories in Greek writings and Roman history that you can read of the pagan, of the men going up at night. It was like, a, it was like a, you could see the lights of their candles going up to visit the shrine prostitutes to worship a god by being with the prostitute. That was worship. It was detestable. And you have the Jews who were keeping this Mosaic law and were, and were pure and were clean and were, and were living kosher and everything else. And they, and they say, you mean to tell me that these Gentiles who were doing these kind of things, who had never touched the law, who have never been clean, you mean they're just going to waltz in here and just believe in Jesus Christ as their Savior? And they're going to be just the same as us? Certainly, Paul, you mean they have to come and help and at least join with us and be part of God's people and, and keep kosher and keep the law. And Paul says, no. That is not what God is doing. He is creating a third race, a third entity, a brand new humanity. It is made up of Jew and Gentile, and they come equally. Jews do not become Gentiles. Gentiles do not become Jews. Gentiles do not keep the Mosaic Law. Jews can go ahead and continue to keep kosher. That's fine. But when they become part of this new entity, the church, the body of Christ, they come on the basis of one thing and one thing only. Faith in the blood atonement of Jesus Christ and receiving His forgiveness for their sins. And that is it. For by what are you saved? Grace are you saved through faith. We're doing the King James. <laughs> Not of yourselves. It is the gift of God along with keeping parts of the Jewish law? No, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Listen, if there was ever a man in history who knew about keeping the Jewish law, it was the Apostle Paul. He kept it so precise that nobody could have criticized him for being a pagan sinner. And Paul says, I look at that now and I realize it has nothing to do with my salvation. Listen, what God is doing here. God has created a new humanity, a new person, a new people, the church, the body of Christ, where Jew and Gentile come together. And he says, look, at this is so important. We don't live in this world, but look what he says here. To reconcile both of them, shalom, peace. To bring peace between Jew and Gentile, they can now come together and be one new humanity. And he brings peace with God. You now have peace with one another and peace with God through the blood of Jesus Christ. In verse 17, he came. Who? Jesus Christ. He came and he preached what? Peace. To you who were far away, Gentiles. The Old Testament talks about the Gentiles being far away. And peace to those who were near. Who were those who were near? Israel. They had God's law. He had spoken to them through His prophets. He came and He preached peace to you who were far away. And He preached peace to you who are right here. 
And the message he brought was you are now one in Jesus Christ. You are the new humanity. In verse 18, for through him we both have, we both have access, not through the law, not through works, not through sacrifice. We both have equal access, equal access to the Father by one spirit. In every place Paul went, like Ephesus, and started a church, and in Galatia, and Ephesus, and in Rome, and in Corinth, we read in the book of Acts, apparently, there were those who came behind him and said, yes, yes, people, Paul's gone now, but you need to understand, yes, I, I, we, I know he told you this, but you do understand, don't you, that you also have to keep the Mosaic Law. You also have to keep kosher. You understand it's not that simple, right? And Paul had to confront them. He had to challenge Peter even in the book of Galatians. He challenges Peter and says, Peter, you quit pulling away from those Gentiles. You can't do that. We are the new humanity. We are one. We are the church, the body of Christ. And this is the wonderful thing about the gospel message, friend. We are worse sinners than we could ever dare or imagine to think. But God loves us more. We are more loved than we could ever dare to imagine. Because he came and he died on the cross at Calvary and has brought us peace with one another and peace with God. And this is our message. This is why from this pulpit and in our classrooms and this week at the retreat where our high school kids are. And this is what we teach our children in Sunday school. And this is what Len's teaching the children in children's church. We teach them that they are saved by God's grace through faith. And not by any works that we can accomplish. And friends, this is a wonderful message. It's the message of the grace of God. As we wrap this up today, I want to make an application. You and I don't live in this world of Jew and Gentile. We don't see the world that way. But the message was God is doing something brand new. Now, we at our church happen to believe that this new humanity, this new entity, this third race, if you will, we happen to believe that our hope is what we call the rapture. That we, Yes, we do believe that Jesus is going to return. And we do believe he's going to take us home to be with him, to our heavenly home, to heaven. We will be with him forever. And we do believe he is going to return after the tribulation. You know, we're just, it's just, you know, we read the scriptures and you read things about in that terrible time of tribulation that the stars falling from the sky... And how frightening, and you think, you, 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 people look at that and scoff and say, well, a star is not going to fall from the sky and hit the earth. How big is a star? What happened this last week? Well, everybody was watching something else. Not, we weren't, but the scientists were, right? And they said, this is not going to come near earth. And out of nowhere, how big was that meteor? About the size of a school bus. And what happened? Can you imagine a meteor shower for 24 hours as the earth turns? I mean, this, this is not... The, 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 you read the book, of, the, read the Bible, and you read about the coming tribulation. It is not far-fetched. It begins to make perfectly good sense. I grew up in a time when we talk about, when we talk about not having money, having a mark to do transactions, and it just seems so fanciful. And listen, friends... Every place I go today, I use this all the time. It's much easier than carrying a lot of cash. And I know there's, I know there's different views, but I'm just saying, 
I can, if I go out of the country, I can use this and get the right exchange rate. <laughs> and I can put this in a machine in Mykonos, Greece, like I did 12 years ago. Stick this in a machine in Greece on an island and have the screen pop up. Hello, Mr. Shmaria. <laughs> I mean, listen, it's going to be the most natural thing in the world to go to a cashless society and to have some kind of a mark to buy or sell. It's, listen, we believe this is going to happen. We believe the tribulation is going to come and we believe there's going to be a thousand year messianic kingdom because six times at the end of Revelation, six times where John says a thousand years, it will be a thousand years. Satan will be bound for a thousand years. The Lord will return for a thousand years, six times. And we say, well, you know what? Maybe it means a thousand years. There's a way in Greek to say a long, long time. So we believe this third entity, this body of Christ who we are today, that we have a hope. And when God comes for us, he is going to return. There is going to be a literal Messianic kingdom. Satan is going to be bound for a thousand years. Boy, if we're building a kingdom now and Satan is bound right now, if this is what the kingdom looks like, we believe that. In the meantime, what is this for us today? It's a wonderful message. We belong to a very unique entity. You know what? The church, the body of Christ, crosses all religion preferences from previous when you come to Christ and acknowledge the truth of the gospel. There's no race. There is no male or female. There is no rich or poor. There is no free or slave. We belong to the most unique entity the world has ever seen. We can go anywhere in this world, anywhere, and immediately have a bond with a brother and sister in Jesus Christ, whom we have never met, who we, don't, we can't even talk their language. They are different racial backgrounds. They have different cultures and customs. They dress different. They worship different. Their services are different. And yet we have a bond in Jesus Christ. Why? Because God has broken down all barriers to the grace of Jesus Christ, our Savior. This is very practical implications for, you, for us today, for you and for me. We are to get along. We are to be at peace. I mean, I think about this. Sometimes there's people that you don't get along with. Sometimes there's fellow believers you don't get along with. You just soon build that hedgerow between you and them. And in fact, we can do that. You know, we can just simply disconnect ourselves in our culture and have nothing to do with someone we don't like or someone we don't get along with. It might even be someone in our own family. They might be a brother and sister in the Lord Jesus Christ, but in our own family we can't even talk to each other. But I think I need to remind us we are going to spend all eternity together. I'm not sure we're going to have that luxury in God's presence to say, well, I, you know, I just don't like that person. I'm just not going to have anything to do with them. We belong to a very unique entity. The church, the body of Jesus Christ, who is our head, who has broken down all barriers and drawn us together together. As one. This past week, 
We had our pastor's lunch. We get together pastors from Shoreline. Had a wonderful time sitting down with pastor of Tabernacle Baptist, Tom Ruhlman, and reminiscing about our histories. Camp Gilead, where his daughter is the caretaker and runs, they run the camp. They're administrators of the camp where I was saved, where we went to camp. We started talking and he found out the camp that our kids go to every summer is the old Baptist camp that he was raised at and the connections he had. I mean, we just, it was fascinating as we talked. Listen, friends, these friendships and these bonds that cross denominational barriers and, and, and cross cultures, we, we are a blessed people. To have brothers and sisters, we should act like a family. We should live at peace. We should be at peace. And we should accept the fact that God, through Jesus Christ, has broken down all walls of preference. We're not talking about moral and ethical issues, but of preferences, of styles, of culture, of race. God has broken these down to demonstrate to our world today that he is a God of grace, love, and mercy. The God of peace, who has brought our peace and has brought us peace with him. John, let's close our service to our final hymn. Well, you're still really quiet now. I want to hear your voices on this last hymn, okay? I want you to sing this song like we're singing in heaven. Let's sing like the family of God. What are we going to sing, John? Sing. I hope you know. I do. In Christ there is no east or west. All right. And would you stand together as we sing? Amen. Let's close in prayer. And as we do so, close our eyes and bow our heads. Friends, if you're here today and you do not know Jesus Christ as your Savior, I have the the most wonderful news. I've already shared it with you. If the Holy Spirit is opening your heart, God loves you more than you ever dare to imagine. You are more lost because of sin. Not because I'm better than you or you're better than me or anything we accomplish, but because of sin. Sin. And I don't need to tell you, we are sinners. But God loves you. And Jesus Christ died for you. And all he asks of you is that you acknowledge your need for salvation and accept his payment for your sins and to receive eternal life. Yes, that is the message of the grace of God. You can do that right now. You don't do anything for me or this church, but you can do that right now. And friends, I would like you to think today as we leave this place, because I know most of you are brothers and sisters in the Lord, is there that one person in your life that that is a brother and sister in the Lord, and yet you've allowed a wall, a hedgerow between you? Uh, Is it time maybe to understand God's reconciliation, God's peace, And is it time to reach out? It may not be accepted. It may may be rebuffed. But is it time to allow God to take down those hedgerows because Jesus died to make us one? It's in his name we've come today and we leave this place. Amen.